All right, tonight let's go look at Matthew chapter 14. Thank you, Robbie and Josh. Appreciate that. So as I mentioned, uh, my son and I were teasing about that, how I'd love to be on a ship with him somewhere, and he can fish all he wants while I snorkel and point to the fish, but I'm going to get some of that $30,000 cut for sure. And I was thinking how hilarious it was, because I know there's these TV programs that talk about the deadliest catch, how these guys go out to Alaska, and they get on these dangerous ships, and they go out in freezing cold weather with bad weather, and and risk their lives to catch, uh, I think it's crab. A lot of them will catch crab and so on. But down in the Bahamas, man, it's like calm, peaceful, beautiful all the time. I mean, no risk, and you get 30 grand for every two weeks. But Neil, are you interested in that job? If I find out you, you, you're game for that, okay, I figure that. Brent, you're, you're interested in that if that works out, okay. If you guys get I get 10% each. 10% is all. If I get the hookup, okay. A finder's fee for me, okay. But uh, joking there a little bit. But as you think about this, the word, the original word of fellowship comes from the ideas of a bunch of fellows on a ship. Um, a lot of the, a lot of sign language is, is obvious. You know, I, I love certain signs in ASL that people can look at and say, oh yeah, well that's an obvious sign. That makes sense. I can see why you do it. Of course, it's, it's harder to understand when someone's signing as fast as the deaf people do, right? But you'll see some signs, they're obvious. And in the English language, there's lots of words that you can trace back to our, to our father language, the dead language of Latin, but there's some words that are just they have a, a meaning behind it, and there's a reason why it started that way. And fellowship is one of them. Fellowship. A bunch of fellows on a ship. I have, I've studied that before. I've preached it here years ago. And um, one of the things I love about this passage is, as you'll notice right off the bat, these men get on the ship because Jesus told them to. All right? Jesus told them to. And let me just say something right off the bat. I think we live in a, in a strange day and age, a time where people just aren't faithful to things like they used to be. They're not faithful to their jobs. They're not faithful to their spouses. They're not faithful to their, to their uh, families. They're not faithful to their churches. And um, you know, my, my mother and father are a great example of a couple that's been, how long have they been going to your church, that church? Now, probably 50, over 50 years. Probably 52, 53 years they've been in the same church all these years. And you look at like the Coonses and the Georges, and uh, they have been in this church for such a long time, and now they have the blessing of sitting with their grandchildren in church. And, uh, and I'm not saying God doesn't lead people to other churches, but a lot of times people just leave because, and I'm, this is something I'm gonna, I want to teach you tonight, first of all, by way of teaching, because they got mad at something. Well, that's not a good reason to leave, right? I get mad every time I go into Walmart, but I still need to go into Walmart sometimes. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. Stacy says she gets mad if she goes to Walmart all the time, too, and she works there. No, but, uh, but you know, sometimes I've had bad experiences at restaurants before. I have. But I, as you can tell, I keep going back, right? You know, so we, we all have... Certain experiences, for some reason, church has its own category, and there's certain things that have had, it happens to you at church, then that's, that's the perfect reason, that's the perfect excuse. You have a justifiable reason for leaving. How about this one? Here, here's a reason why you should ever leave a church. Because God told you to, right? And by the way, make sure God really told you. Don't make up something and blame God for it, okay? God gets blamed or credited for a lot of things that he does not want credit for, okay? But here, here, the reason they got on the ship, number one, is because Jesus told them to. Jesus told them to get on the ship. You see there in verse uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 22, the Bible says right here. It says here, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Jesus wanted them on this particular ship. Now, just because Jesus puts you in a ship doesn't mean you're always going to like that ship. And just because Jesus puts you on a ship doesn't mean there won't be storms on that ship. Jesus knows full and well there's going to be a storm coming. And his disciples are still going to be on this ship. And I can guarantee you this, even if you get on a ship, you're probably not going to, you're commanded to love everybody, 
but I'm pretty sure you're not going to always like everybody. Can I get an amen right there? That's a new thing Toby says to me a lot. Preacher, I know you love them, but do you like them? And he's, he's like a Pharisee. He's trying to trap me by asking me questions like that. And I, I learned the wisdom. So I love and like all people. Amen. All right. So, but, the, but you see the point we're trying to make here is this. You're not going to always get along with everybody on that ship. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have issues come up. You're going to have frustrations. You've got things like that. But if Jesus wants you on a particular ship, be on that ship. And then make sure you're a part of that. This is the number one ship. You're part of the fellowship. You're part of the fellowship. Um, we live in a day and age where I think so many Christians want to be babies so much. Instead of being aggressive and acting like an adult and, and pursuing things yourselves as Christians, right? As I look down in, in this, from the pulpit here tonight, I see my niece, Emily. She's four months old now? Four months old now. She's, she's sitting on Hannah's lap, and she's completely dependent on, on her mom and, and her dad and, and when her cousins are around and all that stuff. I don't change diapers. I change my own kids' diapers, but that's it, amen. But there she, she, you know, she's completely, I expect that behavior from her. She's a baby. But when a 16 or 17-year-old or a 20-year-old person is still expecting to sit on my lap or expect me to change a diaper, there's something wrong with that picture. Can I get an amen right there? And so many Christians, I'm amazed, and I'm not being mean or ugly here. I'm just telling you, this is the time that we live right now, okay? The church of Laodicea is true. I've sat down with people who've asked me questions about the church. They've wanted to interview me about the church, and, and, they, and it's always, what can the church do for me? 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 What are you going to do to meet my needs? Me, 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 me. And I answer, and I answer, and I answer, and answer in love. And can I just be honest? As a Gen Xer, sometimes I struggle with that. All right? We Gen X people are, are we have issues. Who's a Gen Xer tonight, right? Come on. Gen Xers, help me out. We got issues, right? And, and, I, and I answer the questions, and I love them, and I want them to be here. But sometimes, as Christians, we should say, what can I do for you, Lord? You've done so much for me. How can I serve? How can I minister? How can I be a blessing to somebody else? Christian, genuine Christianity is being the kind of person that is thinking of ways constantly to be a blessing to somebody else without expecting anything in return, like a pat on the back. You just want to be a blessing to somebody just because it's the right thing to do. And here we are. Jesus says, I want you to get onto this ship. This is your fellowship. Take ownership of it. This is your thing. Well, I don't like everybody on this ship. But if Jesus wants you here, just be here and learn to like people, right? I mean, some of you probably still don't like me, but you're stuck here because God told you to stay here. And I'm glad because of that, amen? Because I'm going to win you over one of these days, amen? What are you saying, preacher? I'm being silly right now, but the fact is, if Jesus wants us on a particular ship, get on there, embrace it, get excited about it, confront it, and, and, and then decide that you're going you're gonna to make the most of it. You're going to make the most of it. I mean, when, in life... Every day, I can choose to complain about the circumstance of my life, or I can embrace it and try to change it, right? We live in a society today where people complain about things, and they want somebody else to fix it. Well, I don't really like this, so you fix it. I don't really like that, so you fix it. Well, if you don't like something, then we need to step up and become the reason for the change, right? We can make a difference, right? We can be the Christians that say, hey, Enough of the same old, same old. I'm a part of this fellowship because that leads to the second ship that I want to talk about today. If you look at Matthew chapter 14 here, as you see that they are on this ship now, notice Jesus isn't even there at that moment. And all of a sudden, they sail into a storm. A storm. 
this gospel preaching that says that once you get right with God and you serve Jesus, you're never going to have problems in your life is not biblical teaching. There's a book called Job. You ever heard of it? And you study the life of Moses and Abraham and David all through the Bible, and especially our Savior who died on the cross and rose again later. And Paul himself who besought Jesus three times to remove this thorn in his flesh. And yet Jesus said, no, I'm not going to remove that. Because when you are weak, then you are strong. Because of his grace, it's sufficient for me. And, and you see those teachings. And so Jesus says, now that you're on the right ship, now that you've embraced it, now that you've decided to make the most of it and the best of it, let me do number two. This is the second ship, discipleship. This discipleship. Now, this is where we have been lacking as churches across the country. And praise the Lord, we've started up this Wednesday, first Wednesday of October. We launch our discipleship classes on Wednesday nights. They are full right now, but don't discourage you from coming. If you, want, if you still want to join that class, we will make another class for you, okay? Um, but discipleship. Now, what, what's the key here? See, once you've embraced the fellowship, all right, now it's time to realize that we can learn some things from our brothers and sisters. Since we're in this fellowship, let's learn some things from each other, okay? We have six diggings in my house, right? Well, two of them are in college now, but, but regularly there's six of us. And it's amazing how I've learned what Clara likes versus what, you know, you just learn. You learn from each other, and I know what each kid's favorite things are, and I know what my wife likes, and she knows what I like. And, and that comes from the fellowship and the discipleship. Discipleship is, is studying and learning and training, right? And we're studying and learning and training from Jesus ultimately. But in discipleship, a lot of times we're looking to another Christian who's been down that road before us. And even as a pastor now for 25 years and 48, only two years left till I hit the big five zero. Looking forward to that. I hear 50s are great. Yes. All right. Praise the Lord for that, right? As I get closer to 50, I still thank God for the preachers that are in their 70s that I can call and and I, can, and I can talk to them, and I can, I can ask them for questions and, and get some counsel and, and kind of pick their brain and learn some things from them because it's so beautiful to know that we should never graduate from the school of discipleship. Discipleship means finding somebody in front of you worth following and continuing to follow them and learning from them. As you see here in the passage here, you'll see that this is, this is a beautiful story because so much of the story is, is focused on Peter walking on water, and he sinks and then he is saved by Jesus. But I want you to watch this here. There's something significant here. When Jesus does what Jesus does, he doesn't just teach or disciple or do things with an intent of teaching and training us for today. But many times the things he does and says is for the future. All right. Now watch this. Look at verse. Uh, let's look at verse number. Uh, let's see. 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. Now, how many disciples do we know for sure on that boat? Twelve. Some debate. There might, there might have been other people on the boat. Nobody, we don't know exactly that it's just the 12 that are on there, but we know the 12 are on there for sure. Only one of them, one of them, said, if it's you, bid me and I'll come. Right? Only one. What about the other 11 guys? None, nobody followed Peter that day. Nobody else said, I'll go too, I'll go too. 
No, they all sat and watched. Okay? Don't miss this truth now. If you fast forward several years later, Jesus has now died. He's now resurrected. He is now ascended. And the Holy Spirit is upon these same men. These same disciples that are sitting in the ship right now. These same disciples that are going through discipleship now. Watch this now. Don't miss this truth here. They, 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 they'll go back to the day when Jesus said, come. And you know what those men are going to do this time? Instead of sit there, they're going to go. And these men are the men that turned the world upside down according to the book of Acts. They became disciplined ones disciples of Jesus Christ, so much so that 2,000 years later, we still talk about the names of these men. James, John, and of course Peter, uh, Andrew, Bart, Bartholomew, but we'll call him Bart for short, amen. Bart, I mean, uh, we have these, Matthew, he wrote part of the Bible. We have these men that are, that are legendary Christians. You know why? Because they embraced the fellowship, and because of that, they began to go to that next level where they were discipled. And in this particular story, they're not necessarily discipled. They are indirectly discipled by Jesus, but they're really directly discipled by Peter. You know what they learned? They learned a powerful message that night. They learned that obedience to Jesus gets you on walking on water. But they also learned that distractions and taking your eyes off Jesus can cause you to, the Bible says, sink. You know what the problem we have in many churches? Many Christians feel like they're sinking. They're sinking. How many of you just don't swim? And when you jump in the water, you just sink to the bottom. There's no people like that. Some people just don't swim well, right? That's a scary feeling when you jump in water because you're not supposed to breathe in water. You can't. We're, not, we're made to breathe in water. And that sinking feeling. Well, many Christians today are frustrated. They're quitting. They're discouraged because they have that sinking feeling. They feel like they're always, they're all, they feel like they're always struggling to, to go to that next level, that next step. And listen to me. That's going to lead to the third step. So number one, you have the fellowship. Number two, you have the discipleship. Embrace the discipleship. Every time we come in here, learn something. My wife and I were talking about it yesterday. We were discussing my sermon preparation and message preparation and how I do that. A young preacher boy asked me one time, how long does it take you to prepare, prepare a message? I said, honestly, I don't know. Because it could literally be 100 hours of preparation mentally before I preach one message. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I see something, I hear a quote, I, I read something, and then it starts, I start to think about it, and it gets here, and I meditate on it, I email myself, email, email myself notes, and, and I learn that, and I learn, and I, I want to get it so, I want it marinated, I like a steak that is marinated, I like to, to be absorbed of that thought and that truth, so when it comes out, it almost comes out of my pores, and people say, man, he really believes what he's preaching, because it's something here, where did I learn that from? I learned that from watching preachers from the previous generation who were so passionate about what they believed, it was almost inside of them. It was like it didn't come from the mind or from their vocal cords. It came from inside somewhere. Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to them at Rome also. Why? Because so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach. He said he was just consumed with it. He was passionate about it. He had soaked it in. He had, he had become like marinated with that truth and he was ready to just take it to the world. And that's why nobody could talk Paul out of the truth he was preaching. Nobody could discourage him and cause him to quit the truth he was preaching because it was real to him. It was, it was his makeup it was his dna spiritually speaking wow but you get that by being a student of other christians may i say to you also they may have been challenged and learned that peter walked on the water that day and he stepped out of the boat but they also were challenged and learned that oh boy we better make sure we keep our eyes on jesus eyes on jesus eyes on jesus 
or we will sink. Christian friend on this Sunday night crowd, I'm telling you, man, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. Because if you don't, sometimes you're going to feel like you're sinking. And then when you start sinking, you think, well, the problem is to fix it is to leave or to quit or quit God or, or I'm, I'm, I'm done with the Lord. I'm, I'm done with church as a whole. I'm, I'm just quitting. I'm just quitting. That's not the answer. Boy, the devil loves that. I'm not saying God doesn't move people. I, I understand that completely, okay? But I am saying don't quit. Don't quit. Why? Because the power, the powerful truth of learning from other brothers and sisters on things what we can do and what we should not do can transform us and lead to that third step, which will make sure you're a Christian for the long haul. Make sure you go until the day Jesus calls you home. And that is the subject number three of mentorship. 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 So we have fellowship, discipleship, where you're following somebody. But then there's that mentorship. Let me tell you the secret about the subject of mentorship. I believe many times we have taught mentorship as a, and discipleship in the same context here. But I believe it's a three-step cycle. I believe there's three-step phase here when it comes to the subject of ships. Number one, you, you get in part of the fellowship. You know, you got saved, you got, you're part of the fellowship. Then you start to you grow and you learn. But eventually, watch this and I'm done. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 14 again. Let's look at here in verse number, let's look at verse number 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Woo. Now you're at a totally different level. Discipleship is where Christians help Christians, but mentorship, when you finally get to the point where Jesus is your personal trainer, he's your personal mentor, he is teaching you things in the, in the intimacy, in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ, there's no way somebody else is going to convince me to quit this thing. There's no way anybody else's failure or fault is going to cause me to want to resign what God's doing in my life right now. No way. Because I've been with Jesus this morning and he is still the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is still in control. He's never wavered. He's never been fearful. He knows exactly what's happening and having the ability to access his presence anytime I want to. You see, we're going to start the discipleship class, and that's great, and it starts the first Wednesday night of October, and it starts at 6.30 p.m., and we gather here, and we sing, and then you're going to be dismissed to a class where you're going to sit with other older Christians in this fellowship and be taught and discipled, and that's great, but there comes a time in your Christian life where you start to say, this has been great. Thank you for what you've done for me, but I'm not going anywhere. You know why? Because I've seen Jesus. I'm close to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He alone is worthy. He is the Almighty. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose again. Nobody can talk me out of it. I'm staying right beside him. I'm staying by him. Why? I'm being mentored personally by him. By him. By him. So church, where are you at in these three ships? Make sure we go through these three ships with the ultimate goal of being a part of that mentorship. And by the way, when we're in that mentorship, we then consistently try to bring people to the fellowship so that they can be part of the discipleship and eventually get to the 
mentorship. These are three ships that I like to have regularly in this church. Amen. Heads your bad eyes are closed. I can play some swell tonight.
I hear them say, our country's far too gone, and even claim our fathers got it wrong. But I won't give up on us, and I'll take a stand, because we can overcome. This is not the end. I still believe in us. Oh, America, you're still the land I love, though a little bruised up. Stars and stripes still cry liberty over evil, over tyranny. Blood poured out for our freedom. They sacrificed it all for this nation. I still believe in us, my America. Our history is full of bravery and heroes fought for our equality. Now is the time to make peace and forgive our faults. Because united we stand, or divided we will fall. I still believe in us, oh America. You're still the land I love, though a little bruised up. Stars and stripes still cry liberty over evil, over tyranny. Blood poured out for our freedom. They sacrificed it all for this nation. I still believe in us. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea I'll always believe in us my America this is the land I love but we gotta heal it up Lady Liberty will always be a sign of hope unto the refugee the immigrant can find escape from oppression to a better place. I still believe in us, my America.